Good morning, everyone. If we can uh, turn in our Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy. We'll continue on. Uh, and I'm going to read 2 Timothy. I'm going to skip a couple of verses in the middle, but um, I'll get to that. So 2 Timothy chapter 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember, Je- remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Skip a couple of verses. So flee... So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on, call on the Lord from a, from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant contra- controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must be quarrelsome, must not be quarrelsome, sorry, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are the, those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at, knowledge, at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Luke. We. I'm not doing anything. All right. That was a long reading, right? It was a long reading. But it's good. It's good stuff. And um, reading it's actually really encouraging, although very practical. So turn to the person next to you. We've been sitting for a while. Turn to the person next to you and say, 30 minutes. Hang in there for 30 minutes. Now turn to the person on the other side of you and say, God is going to speak. Listen. Did you say that with faith? You know, I always used to, when I, I was teaching in YWAM, I'd always say to, um, to groups that I teach that, that um, because they have to sit through teaching every day, that God will speak through every speaker every day. And guess what? It's not dependent on the speaker. It's dependent on you. Are you ready to hear? Do you want to hear God? If you want to hear God, He'll speak to you. So God is going to speak this morning because He's always speaking. So... We're in Timothy right now, and um, we've um, doing this small series for about five weeks, discipling in difficult days in Second Timothy, and um, we've had two um, messages already. And the whole idea of these messages is that they are really practical. We wanted to make sure, and we do want to make sure, that each year at least, or a, or a few times, we want to be able to be talking about discipleship and how it's practical. And um, so 2 Timothy is intensely practical and we want it to be that way. So as we recap, we look at in, in 1 Timothy where um, Joel did the introduction with us and where uh, Paul greets Timothy and, and reminds him that he's loved and um, reminds him of life, that life that he's been given in, in God and also begins to remind him about this rich thing that he's been given by his mother and grandmother and those around in the generations, this rich gift, this rich knowledge of salvation, and that that's going to be the engine, the, the power, if you like, the battery, the drive for what um, Paul is challenging him to do. And the second message, we, we, looked, about, we looked at how Paul begins to... Um, talk to Timothy and, and encourage him because Paul is in a dungeon now. He's not going to get out. Um, he would dearly love to see Timothy, but at the same time, he dearly wants to see the church in Ephesus do well. And he wants to see Timothy do well in that. 
And he knows and, and they know that there is so much opposition to that and that it's a tough environment. And so he encourages Timothy to fan into flame that gift of life. You know, encourages him to keep on blowing on that coal, if you like, or getting that flame burning brighter. And not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to draw back and to be afraid or to be scared of what's happening around him, but boldly go because God is with him. And... Um, that's the kind of setting. And so he's built, he spent a, a, the first chapter kind of building Timothy up and, and, and encouraging him. And then he gets really practical. And there is a lot in our reading today, and it was a long one, I know. But prior to this, Paul has, has had, like I said, has reminded uh, Timothy um, to fan into flame. Uh, he talked about the opposition in the church. Guard the good gift of salvation was one of the key things that he said. Guard the good gift of salvation. And remember here that, and I said that when I spoke a couple of weeks ago, remember that Paul's passion is always the gospel and that the gospel be preached, that it's extended, but especially that it's kept pure. That's always the background. Yes, Paul loves Timothy dearly. Yes, Paul is passionate about a lot of things. But if you have a look behind everything, Paul's number one passion is the gospel. Always that the gospel be preached and it would be uh, declared in truth. And so he was always wanting to guard that. And he knew that there was opposition. And Paul also knew that gospel helpers and workers had left. And I think I spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there was various reasons for that, not least being Paul's reputation. He'd been imprisoned that many times that um, it was not really very helpful to be affiliated with him. The team was thinned out, and Timothy was still in the thick of it. And he was without Paul, and Paul had encouraged him. So having addressed his concern about Timothy's resilience, perhaps his dwindling team, and most importantly, reminding him about the rich message that he has and the calling that he has, he gets really practical in here. And today's message is really practical. It's almost like he's saying, so Timothy, here's the how. Here's to what, what to look out for, and here's how to respond. And maybe we could summarize today's message in three major themes. And, and I've tried to do that. There's so much more in there. And sometimes doing a sermon like this can be a little bit frustrating because you stumble on things you think, wow, but you just can't address everything. But here's three things that I think that Paul is saying. I think the first thing he's saying is train, work hard and teach. I think that's one of the first things that he's talking to Timothy about. Second thing he's saying is avoid distractions. And those distractions come from within himself, within Timothy himself, but also from outside. And I think the third thing he's saying is be aware, be wary of false teachers and things coming into the church. Right in the middle there, we'll also see that, that God wins thing again. I think I spoke about that last time that you know Paul always reminds Timothy that God wins. God's already done it and we're going to see that as well. But he wants to challenge Timothy, keep the main thing the main thing. So the first one, train, train, work hard and teach. That, that first one, how he addresses that. And um, he uses a few examples there. Training and hard work takes focus, doesn't it? And Paul uses three examples to show Timothy that to achieve something great takes focus. To achieve something great takes hard work. To, to achieve something like the gospel in Ephesus, in the challenging environment, in the, the Roman environment they're in, is hard work. And he uses a soldier. And you know a soldier has a one-eyed view 
on what he's supposed to do and who he serves. You cannot have a soldier in an army deciding that today I think I'm going to have a day off or today I think I'm going to do something different. Or, General, I reckon that might be a reasonable idea, but why don't we try this? That doesn't work in a war, does it? You can't have a soldier doing that because they'd lose the fight. The soldier is completely committed. He knows what he's supposed to be there to do and he knows who he's supposed to serve. And he undeniably does that. A runner goes and works hard for the win. And Paul talks about that. And he talks about not cutting corners because cutting corners isn't a win. If you're watching all these runners run around a track and they're all going well, but you see one of them go, hey, I've got an idea. I might just cut right across the middle. I'll come out ahead of the other guys. Wouldn't be a win, would it? And I guess the runner themselves would kind of feel like, well, I didn't really win. And Paul talks about a runner has to work hard for the win. You can't take shortcuts. And, and here's a hint to understanding that you can't take shortcuts. Here's the purity of the truth of the gospel. And he looks at a farmer. A farmer starts with something that he can't even see, pushes it into the ground in faith. He can't see the result yet, but believing it, believing that it can be great, he does the hard work. He works hard to receive the wards of his crop. And so there are three examples that Paul uses just to challenge uh, Timothy in training and working hard. And each of these are training and working hard for something greater than themselves. The soldier, the runner, uh, the farmer, they're working hard for something bigger than just themselves. Each of them will suffer something for it. The soldier will suffer loss, loss of his independent will and his own desires. The runner, he will suffer using his own time and, and having to use all of his own time to train and all his physical energy being maxed out. And the farmer will work hard in the seasons of waiting, sowing and caring. And Paul knows that, likewise, the task for Timothy is bigger than Timothy. It's bigger than himself. Way bigger, in fact. And that he'll also suffer for it, but that it's worth it. Paul knows this. Paul knows that he will suffer, but Paul also knows that it's worth it. And Paul knows this because he's experienced it himself. And he says to Timothy to teach. That's the immediate fruit that he needs to work on. Not just teach the message, not just get people together and teach them the gospel. He's to do that, but more so to teach them. And you notice that verse, to teach others that will teach others that will teach others. There's this whole sense where you're not just to teach the message, you're to teach others to be the teachers. Are you seeing that? This is disciple making. He's already beginning to model discipleship. He's saying, I want you to teach, but I want you to teach others to be able to teach. This would be costly for Timothy in this environment. You see, Paul... And I think I put it up there. Paul is not only talking about talking here about the cost of being a disciple or a follower of Christ, but to Timothy here, he's talking about the increased cost of making disciples, the very thing that caused Paul to be where he was right now. So he wasn't just saying, Timothy, preach the gospel, you know, have run secret meetings, get together in this environment, and then hey, I want you to teach others to do it. And he knew that that would expose Timothy to the very things that Paul had been exposed to as well. That it was going to be costly. So it's tough. Yet he tells him how. And in verse 1 of our reading in chapter 2, he says that, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace 
that is in Christ Jesus. And in verse 8, he says it again, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. He reminds him of where his strength comes from. Because this Jesus suffered more than you and I ever will, Paul says to Timothy. And this Jesus suffered more than you and I ever will. And he did it for something greater as well. Now, we have the same calling as well. You know, we, we look at Timothy and we can read this and we can think, wow, you know, that's tough. And Paul's, you know, really challenging Timothy to something here. But sitting here, we have the same calling, don't we? Last time I spoke, I said there is no Christian that is not called. If you call yourself a Christian, you're called. We all are. We've all been given that good gift of salvation that Paul talks about, haven't we? And we've all, we've all been called to spread that good news. And yet, we also live in a time where opposition, where there's opposition to that message and there's opposition to the message bearers, us. It's real, isn't it? How many of you saw footage on the TV last night of the uh, March for Babies in Melbourne? Anyone? It's real when you're marching out there. There's a real challenge. If you, it's not just the message that there is opposition to now. There's opposition to the message bearers. And, and Paul's calling Timothy to be a message bearer. And we're called to be message bearers as well. So we need to hear that same encouragement. We need to hear that same practical and real advice. The task that God has called each of us to is way bigger than ourselves. Even here in, in, in One Hope in Scoresby, you know, we, we know what we have a sense of what God's called us to, but it's way bigger than ourselves. It reaches further than our own circumstances and it lasts longer than our own time. What we do extends beyond our own years and our own time. So we need some of what each of Paul's examples show. We need some of the stuff that, that these guys need, like the soldier. We need to know who we serve and what we're supposed to do. Not getting distracted by our own will and desires. Like the runner, we need to invest time and energy to get to the finish line the right way. And like the farmer, we need to sow the seed in faith. We need to work and care for that seed, knowing that it will grow and bear fruit. You know, farmers must think that seeds are magic. Because you just poke them in the ground and this big plant comes out of it. How's that possible? And we reckon we're advanced, technologically advanced. The seed, God is so much more advanced. Look what he can do out of a little seed. And the farmer, we need to have faith like that to know that the little seed is going to become a plant, that it will grow and bear fruit. And we're also challenged to go beyond just being disciples. We are challenged to do that, but we're also challenged to make disciples. And we often talk about that here in, at One Hope. Who are you discipling? Who are you talking to about Jesus? Whose life are you building into? Who are you encouraging? We're challenged to make disciples. The last time I had that Matthew 28 scripture up there where it says, Go and make disciples. It's biblical. Teaching others what we know teaching others and telling others what God has done for us and how it can change their lives. And we can do it, like Timothy, we can do it by the grace given to us too. And maybe we experience limits sometimes. We can experience limits, can't we? We, we can be afraid. We can, we can not want to, you know, we, we can see what's happening around us at these marches. We can see when people talk to us and they get quite offensive about Christianity. And 
Perhaps we experience limits. We might be thinking that our own message, will it ever prevail? Will this message of Jesus, you know, in the light of the, the big noise out there, do you think it'll ever cut through? The laws that are, that are set in place now that make it hard, society acceptance. Maybe we can experience limits. Well, Paul was limited too by his chains, wasn't he? He said that. But there are a few very encouraging words that he says in verse 9, doesn't he? Which I am suffering and I'm bound with chains as a criminal. And here are the words, but the word of God is not bound. We might be limited. Paul might have been limited and chained, but God's word isn't. And we need to have faith, like the farmer has faith for the seed. We need to have faith that God's word is not bound. It will prevail. We're just called to be faithful. So for Timothy and for us too, living this out would come with a few challenges, some from the outside and some from within. And Paul addresses that too in our second point. He says, avoid distractions. There was going to be plenty of distractions in Ephesus. We don't need to go into that. We've talked about what was going on there before. There was going to be a stack. And there's a few places that Paul addresses this in our reading. That's why I wanted to read it all in a few different ways, both from within and from outside. But perhaps for Timothy personally, we see it in verses 22 and 23 um, in, our, in chapter 2. And I think I've got them up there. So he says, So um, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Youthful passions. You know, Timothy was a young guy. Can you imagine what youthful passions he might? No, I can't imagine. What are some of the youthful passions that he might have had? I mean, he was human, wasn't he? The arguments that he could have got into, you know, and thinking back to that soldier getting caught up in civilian disputes, maybe, you know, whatever he wanted to do. And distractions for Timothy would come from the outside too, people quarrelling, ignorant opposition to the message and opponents that would stand against him and, and challenge his message. Now remember, Timothy's human like you and I. And like every human, he gets distracted by things in his own life, surely. He has desires, like you and I. He probably has his quirks and his passions that maybe don't always align with being a disciple of Jesus. And maybe, he, perhaps he had a dream of a peaceful life in the burbs. A wife, 2.5 kids, house, good job, superannuation, all those sorts of things. Don't we all aim for those when we're busy studying and thinking ahead, this is what it's going to look like, our block of land, our house, the white picket fence. You know, Maybe when we get to 60-something, that big caravan that can do the hot lap, you know, grain nomaded up to the hot weather. No? You're all liars. But he probably had those desires too. He was a human being. He had civilian pursuits as well. And he would be drawn into discussions or arguments about details, opinions. And they might have tempted him to engage in these theological challenges as well. But Paul's saying these things will hold you back from the calling that you've been given. And hold you back from the truth that, you're supposed to that you are to proclaim. And note too in, in chapter 2 verse 14... He says to remind those he taught about these very same things. So 
Paul's not, not just saying you watch out for distractions. Remind those that you're teaching that they will also have distractions in their life. Do you see how it continues to go? How Paul's challenging him? Again, discipleship, same sort of things. You and I are not so much different from Timothy, are we? And our world isn't either, we know that. In fact, I see a lot of similarities here for me anyway. If I look at this, I'm so easily distracted by my own desires. Too easily. My own wants, my own pursuits. Things that can keep me from righteousness and faith sometimes. Things that are just silly pursuits sometimes and maybe a waste of time, but other things that might keep me from righteousness and faith. And I can be a sucker for those opinion arguments. <laughs> Ask us in the office. You know, the ones you see on Facebook. Those arguments about all the current themes and all the interesting things, but also the little theological differences. We can get stuck on those. We have this discussion group that's been going for a couple of years now with Joel and myself, my son-in-law Tim in WA and Luke in Africa. And it's called Theological Musings. Whoever named that really put the challenge out there. And this week we've spent an inordinate amount of time discussing and arguing about complementarianism. Would you like me to... No, I won't explain. And so I'm a sucker for those things too. I get drawn into these theological differences and I just have to win. Anyone else like that? Or is that just me? And, and you know, you know the ones, things that keep... And these are things that keep me from being effective sometimes and, and can be distractions. What about you? Where do you get tangled up? What causes you to veer off the path of being a disciple or a disciple maker? What's distracting you from God's goal in your life? Just the way that Paul looked at Timothy and knew what Timothy was supposed to do. God knows what we're supposed to do. What's distracting you? Civilian pursuits and dreams? Wrong passions and desires? Perhaps misdirected? Arguments that you just have to win? Engaging in disputes or arguments that you're so strong or set on that you end up responding wrongly. That's another thing, isn't it? Sometimes you can get so, you can be right and right and right and yet 100% wrong in your response when you're so set on something that you destroy something in the process. And the gospel suffers when we do those things. God's clear word to me regarding distractions, and I believe to us today, is simply avoid them. Just those two words. Because there's going to be plenty. If we want to see his kingdom come, like really come, in the lives of people around us and in our world, we've got to stay focused. And then Paul leads us into the, into the third thing. And, and so we've got, you know, we've got train and, and work hard and then uh, avoid distractions. And then he says, and be aware, be wary of false teachers and teachings. Keep the main thing the main thing. In a number of places in our verses, we see Paul addressing this. This particularly was deeply concerning for Paul. Remember, Paul is very, very adamant about the purity of the gospel, that it doesn't get watered down, that it doesn't get uh, mistreated or misrepresented. So this was deeply concerning for Paul. The church was the vehicle that would bring that all-important gospel. And, and Paul knew that. That's why he went around the place planting churches. It was going to be the vehicle that would bring that all-important gospel and it must be protected. This gospel must be protected. In chapter 2, verse 16 to 18, 
But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermanus and Philitus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. Irreverent babble. There's a good, you know, have you ever said to someone, look, that's just irreverent babble. I want to use that from now. I reckon that's so cool. You know, we have another word in English, BS, but we can just sort of say, that's irreverent babble. babble. I like it. Godless chatter and false teaching, actually leading people away from God. You know, I pray that that would never be me. I can do silly things. I can get caught up in myself, but I pray that I would never do things that would lead other people away from God. Leading people into more un- and more ungodliness and spreading heresy. And we see those two guys that were in the church and they were telling people things that weren't true. They were telling people the resurrection has already happened. The potential damage of damage is huge and that becomes obvious to us. And I've just paraphrased that. I haven't put the whole lot there. But Paul also talks about those in chapter 3. In the start of chapter 3, there's this whole list. And as Luke was reading it out, did you feel like, wow, you know, there's all these. It just goes on and on. Lovers of self, lovers of money, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, treacherous, reckless. Paul has this rich vocabulary, doesn't he? Describing people. You and I would just say, there's some really bad people. But he just describes them, doesn't he? There's those in chapter 3 that are so self-obsessed, so self-focused, looking pious, acting like good church people, yet never getting at the truth and opposing it even. Timothy, watch out for them. They will and in fact are destabilizing the church and distorting the gospel. This was Paul's major concern. Be aware of that, Timothy, as a leader in a church, as someone who is making disciples and, and being a disciple. Watch out for that. And all this is in the context of Timothy being encouraged to remind them to teach others as well. And in, in chapter 2, he says, Remind them and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, only ruins the hear- hearers. And he talks to Timothy, do your, do your best to present yourself to God as, a, as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And this is where Paul says, all that sort of, but rightly handling the word of truth. Remind them to do that as well. Why is the word so important? Well, how do you identify heresy? By correctly knowing and handling the word. That's why it was so important to Paul that Timothy know the word and teach others to know the word. How do you identify heresy unless you know the word? Believe me, it helps when you know the word. Because who let them in? Who let these people in? Those who didn't know the word well enough to stop it in its tracks. So you see the responsibility for, all, for us all as followers of Christ is to know the word. You can't identify what's wrong if you don't know the word. And you can't identify who's going to let those sorts of people in. People who don't know the word and who open the door to that. Those who don't know enough to stop it in its tracks. Pastors aren't always around at every conversation. It takes all of us. In chapter 1, 
Paul encourages Timothy to guard the good deposit in him and now I believe he's saying guard the good deposit in the church. He's those two things. He's building this thing with Timothy. Don't get caught up. Be on guard. Watch out for it and keep teaching the word faithfully. And you might be thinking, I can see the application here to all of this sort of stuff. That's a no-brainer. You pastors and leaders had better be listening here. You guys need to be right on top of this. But remember, like I said, we're all called to be disciples and to make disciples. So when Paul says, remind them, that's us. That's you sitting in there. That's not just me, that's us. That's you sitting there as well. That you and I know how to handle the word right, to be on guard and watch out for our church, for God's church. Why is this critical? Because God loves his church. And he wants to see it flourish. And when heresy or false teaching appears, it misrepresents God and his followers. Wouldn't you like someone in your absence to make sure that you weren't misrepresented? Wouldn't you like to have the faith to know that if you're not there, they're not misrepresenting you? False teaching and heresy misrepresents God. Secondly, the gospel is that important. The message of salvation who God is and what he's done and why, is truth. And changed truth or altered truth is by definition no longer truth. Let me say that again. The gospel is truth. And changed or altered truth is no longer the truth. And that's what Paul understands. Get your head around that. God's desire is that we're led by truth. You know, in John, he says that. He's given us his Holy Spirit who would lead us into all truth. It's, it's in the Word. So can you and I serve like this? Can we do this? Work hard? Suffer? How many of you feel like, this week, my prayer is that I will suffer? Put your hand up. It's on my list. <laughs> but can we serve like this? You might have work hard on your list. You know, give me that. Can we recognize and deflect distractions as well? As well as distract, uh, deflect people and things that have to represent the truth? That sounds like a big ask for Timothy, let alone for us. For me, when I was evaluating and thinking, I can see myself failing here, here and there a bit. At times, I'm not sure I'm the best one to be trusted with such a precious gift and call. Timothy must have wondered that at times as well, whether he'd make the grade, whether he would you know, do the same, whether he would actually make it and, and do it. And this is where Paul inserted a few words in his letter to remind and encourage Timothy to show him why and how to endure. And these words are great. They're right in the middle there again, but this is where Paul reminds, it's not on just on you, Timothy. This is, this is where it comes from. He says... Because remember, this is a saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Those last words, those are an encouragement to me. Because, you know, I'm probably like the rest of us where sometimes I feel like, ah, oh, I've been pretty faithless this week. I don't know if I have faith for this. I don't know if I can. God's not dependent on that. Paul says, if we are faithless, he is faithful. And these words are all the more profound 
when you realise Paul's position is he's writing this, as he reflects on his own life, because if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Paul is about to die and he knows that. And he's suffered before. So these words are not just fickle words. These mean something to Paul. If we endure, we will reign with him. He was looking forward to that reign. If we deny him, well, he'd done that too, hasn't he? And he realized that that wasn't going to work. And he also knew that he'd lived a life of faithlessness, but God was faithful. Paul knows this truth deeply and personally. And he knows it because he follows Jesus. Paul knew someone who had suffered way more than himself, way more than Timothy ever would, who in the face of violence and brutal opposition chose to stay the line for Paul's sake, for something greater. Paul knew this person. This was Jesus. And even though he was far from deserving, just like we are, he knew this Jesus who suffered incredible hardship and stayed the line so that he could reign in glory. And Paul knew that. That was his goal. And if Jesus could suffer and triumph, then so could Paul. So could Timothy, and so can we. For something way bigger than us. So if this was so true in Paul's life, it would surely carry Timothy through. What about for us? How encouraging are those words? You know, we did a series on Romans recently. We focused a lot on that. If we died with Christ, we will live with him. We raised with Christ with new life. These words are just as encouraging for us. You look at the world out there, you watch the March for Babies, you watch all these marches, you watch all of these, you get involved in all of these things where it seems like our world is beyond repair. It isn't. We stick with the one who suffered and we see through his eyes that victory is coming. Stick it out. The message says it like this. It says, stick it out, don't turn your backs and don't give up. And that's our call. And sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's harder. But these words can be deep personal truth in our lives as well. You know, we're going to look a little bit further at the next couple of weeks at the way that um, Paul challenges and encourages Timothy. And maybe, you know, maybe this is coming out because Paul is desperate and he knows that he's not going to be around much longer. But if I look at our world, it's desperate that our world hears the message of Jesus. It's just as desperate. There are people out there that are going to die today that don't know who Jesus is. And you and I can play a part in that. Maybe that's not going to happen in our world, but we're called to stand up. Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for your word. Lord, we acknowledge that sometimes your word is confronting and sometimes it, it stretches us to, to in ways and to places that we don't necessarily want to go to. And we know that um, as humans, um, our tendency, or my tendency at least, is to run away from things that look scary, that might mean suffering, that might cause... Um, 
hardship or, or difficulty or even that might even just threaten the, the ideals that I have, the things that, the enjoyments and the things that I really want to see in life. Lord, at the same time, as you call us to uh, set those things aside, you are also the giver of good gifts, the greatest of those being salvation. And we want to recognize that. We want to recognize that that's better than all of the dreams of traveling around Australia or doing the things that we do. And yet, Lord, those things we have as well. But Lord, we want to keep it in perspective. We want to be used by you to show others who you are. Lord, we want to be a voice when there isn't a voice for you, even when it's tough sometimes. We want to stand up when no one else is standing up for you, even when it's hard sometimes. Lord, we want to um, guard your word. We want people to know you the way that you wanted them to know you, to understand you, to see you, to feel you, to experience you, and to have you in their hearts. Lord, we want people to see the truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us. Use us as individuals. Use us as a church. Teach us, Lord, to train, to work hard, to teach others. Teach us, Lord, when distractions, show us when distractions are actually taking us away from the things that you would want to have us do. And show us when we need to stand against things that uh, come into our world or into our churches that are not of you. And do it, Lord, for your glory. Because, Lord, when we are faithless, and so often I am, you are faithful, and I am so thankful for that. And we praise you for that, Jesus. Amen.